Hey everybody and welcome back to Don't Quit Your Day Job. My name is Paul and I am your host. And once again from somewhere in Appalachia, I have the governor of Appalachia himself, Mr. Tim Nave. Tim, thanks for coming back on the show. Darn Tootin, thanks for having me, Governor. That's a good title. <laughs> so, the Governor of Appalachia is that a is that a voted role, or is that something you just decide you're going to be? And that's a decision. You climb to the highest peak in your region. You scream, holler real loud at the top of your lungs, and if no one challenges you, it's kind of like going to court and the cop not showed up for a speeding ticket. I've been trying to find someone from not from the Southern Appalachian reason to come challenge me for the title, but no one's done it in a long time. No one's done it. All right. Well, good. Congratulations. Hopefully your reign is long and long and healthy. Um, so I want to start by jumping into one of your songs, and it's from the, the part two of your, your collection. Um, and the song is called Southern by the grace and i think the chorus is southern by the grace of god is is what you're singing there so does northeastern tennessee count as the south i guess is my first question uh yes uh i mean but we kind of get um it's almost a little bit more of uh almost like the scapegoat for the South, because if you live in the flatlands and you're out in Nashville, that means you're a sophisticated Southerner. Okay. But out here in the mountains, that's 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 kind of the scapegoat for everything. And uh, even though I'm you know 45 minutes outside of Asheville, which is a very sophisticated city, right. you know I'm a hillbilly because I don't live there. So I mean it's a little snarky bit of a song um, that goes into the bitter as hell series because I feel like a lot of people really are kind of. Uh, they get mad because they they live in the south, but uh, I'm a. <laughs> it, it is is a regionalism is a funny topic. Yeah. So and and I do want to explore that a little bit. So in in the first episode that you were you were on, you're from Elizabethtown, Tennessee. We talked about that. We talked about sort of your punk rock background, going to Nashville and doing a little bit there, and sort of settling into the role that you have now with the artist known as Tim. And and I want to explore that a little bit, but I do want to start with this idea of regionalism because that song um, struck me as, I don't know, it sort of struck a chord with me as someone who's lived all over the U.S. and, and of course, in Europe. D- you know, do you, you view, as the writer of that song, do you view being Southern as a positive or a negative? Uh, I would say that's perspective, I guess, because a lot of people, uh, well, for example, in the song, you know, I use the, uh, you know, have a blessed day. Like you see, hear a lot of people saying that around this area, particularly. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, but I mean, like you're, who are you to hand out blessings? That's a really weird thing, in my opinion, to say. Right. And so it's just a really strange thing. It's almost a, like a doubling down where I'm from the South and I'm going to, it's a weird thing to be proud of. Like you didn't choose to be, but it's not an accomplishment, Like you know what I mean? And so it's almost like, I feel like I'm being made fun of. I saw to me Jeff Foxworthy skits. So I'm going to own being from the South. But it really seems like a lot of the people that have that whole have a blessed day and uh, Southern by the grace of God mentality, it, it, it's a really weird thing to hold on to. 
I, I don't really quite understand it. But you can be Southern by choice if you're from somewhere else and move there, right? Then then that's a choice. Can you be Southern in the context that you're talking about right now if you move there, you know, in your 20s? Can you still be like a real Southerner, whatever that might mean? Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess that's more to, to speak of my area, which would be Appalachia, Tennessee, um, very similar to North Carolina. Um, it, it's a it's a pretty accepting area. That's that's something that's really confused me about. Um, it, and maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I don't, you know, I wasn't alive in the fifties and sixties, obviously. So I don't. Um, I never understood why we were blamed for a lot of the uh, or the area was blamed for a lot of uh, weird things like uh, racism and um, well, about about anything you can throw at it. ignorance, illiteracy, and. Um, and I've, like we've had Mexican families up the road from us a whole lot. There's Asian families. It's a it's a very mixed area in the part of Appalachia that I'm from. And it always, rather than making me kind of mad about it, it always made me wonder if it wasn't like scapegoat syndrome, like uh, where, you know, George Floyd gets killed in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and for some reason we have people wanting to riot in uh, like Atlanta. You know, it's it's a really strange thing when people want to blame Appalachia for a lot of things that, from my perspective, I just don't see stand out more than it does in the rest of the United States. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that we're not guilty here of uh, all the finger pointing. Uh, I just feel like Appalachia gets blamed for everything, whereas it's the entire country. It's not this area. We, we talked about this idea of your accent being like the joke for for dumb characters on TV. And we used I think <laughs> I think you brought up Scrappy Doo, who one of my all time most hated characters for any cartoon I can ever recall. Uh, or no, it wasn't Scrappy Doo, who I who I do legitimately oh, I hate. Yeah, um, Scrappy's hateable. It yeah. was uh, Scooby Dunn was the yeah, accent. Scooby Dunn, that, that, that's the accent, exactly. So do you feel like you carry a bit of a chip on your shoulder in defending your region when people just walk in with the stereotype? Not anymore. Uh, I think I outgrew that. Um, which, I mean, that, that that is definitely characterized in the, in the bitter albums that... Uh, because I, I, I do feel like a lot of people carry that with them where uh, because I remember like we, we, we cut an album in Detroit once upon a time and uh, we would have to translate for some of the people in the band. <laughs> and, I, and to this day, I had no idea if the people at the McDonald's and places like that uh, were trying to be rude or if he really was <laughs> an understandable. And I have to hold both as equally possible. <laughs> Well, well, the, I mean, looking at stuff like that, I have to laugh. I mean, like it's, I have to, I can't sit here and pretend like I don't sound different than the majority of the places I play music. So it's really naive for for people to get mad if they have to translate for you, you know? Right. But so having said that, you you obviously have an accent, and I would invite listeners to give us some feedback here. Do you think uh, Tim sounds incoherent and uh, not understandable uh, versus understandable? So. Again, my point here is you obviously have an accent, but I don't find it difficult to understand a word that comes out of your mouth, right? So have you, leaving your your general area and, and doing shows in other places, have you yourself experienced this idea that you got to speak English, dude, I don't understand you? Mm. Uh, specifically Detroit, but I mean, that was, a, that was a McDonald's and the girl literally might just not have understood our guitar player. Yeah. Uh, but typically, typically our, I guess, Southern Appalachia, 
would be the accent I'm talking about. Uh, people don't know where we come from is the uh, okay. is the opinion that we seem to get. Like uh, people, we went to Italy a long time ago and people thought we were from Australia. Like multiple <laughs> shop owners were like, are you from Australia? And we're like, no, it's just, a, it's a strange accent. It's uh, the, and the best I can come up with is it's, it's like a, what Scottish and Irish people made the best they could come up with out of English. And then no one has no one has ever corrected us on it, you know, but we stayed here in the mountains. I don't know if that's true or not, but I know we don't speak correctly. You know, is it distinguishable from say an Alabama accent or a Kentucky accent? Is it fundamentally different or is the Southern accent air quotes here kind of all the same? It changes. Uh, like if you listen to, uh, I-, I can tell the difference. It might just sound specifically just Southern to other people, but uh, it does sound a lot different. Like if you go out towards, uh, even even towards Nashville, out towards Memphis, it starts to sound, uh, I would want to say it starts getting more of a Midwestern draw to it as it flattens out. Okay. Alabama, I think, has one of the more distinguished ones if you start listening. I don't know, then Georgia kind of has that blanched Devereaux feel to it. Yeah. So yeah. there's differences. Yeah, right on. Uh, last time we talked, you hadn't yet put out uh, part two of of the Bitter series. Um, and I want to bring up two songs. So I already brought up Southern by the Grace, which I think is a, is a really good song. Um, and then from part one, Life's Not Fair, But I Love You. Um, these are, these songs feel similar to me. Again, not in any musical way or even necessarily in the the lyrics, but they feel like they come from a similar place to me, or at least how I'm interpreting them. Um, are those, you know, let, let's talk about the two series and how the songs are connected and maybe talk about those two specifically. Sure. Um, well, so far we've got six tracks in total. There should be three out by early next year. I know I keep delaying it, but I had to do another one in between to kind of give myself a palate cleanser. Uh, but the idea is the whole album, when you get the, the full, they all should have the little tie-ins to them mm-hmm. of, uh, of the idea of you didn't really choose the cards that you were handed. And you can either be bitter about the bad things that you've experienced, or you can move on with it and just try to be happy with life. Mm-hmm. And uh, Southern by the Grace is, is about regionalism. It's about uh, people who are born in areas that maybe don't get treated too fairly. But you know, you can either you can be either be upset about that, or you can work a little extra harder, and, and you know, still have a life. I, it's a being not bitter is something you do for yourself, and it's just not a very easy process. It's I don't know what you call it. It's almost like shadow work. It's uh, it's not. It's, it's right. painful. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then going back into life's not fair, but I love you again. The the sentiment of that song is is quite. It's, it's quite different from Southern by the Grace, but again, I feel like they flow, at least for me, even though they're on two, two separate volumes of, of the record. So mm-hmm. is there a, is there a, I feel like I'm focusing on these two songs in particular because I like them both, but um, is there any particular connection there? I just feel like the uplift from Life's Not Fair is, is quite nice compared to some of the other songs. Oh, the uplift. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, it, it's I like to do. Um, I, I like to do sort of uh, 
what's the word I could use? Sort of a duality with everything that mm-hmm. I do in songs. I don't like to just do a song and it be necessarily on the surface. I like it to have double meanings. And uh, it, it has the same sort of, I guess, duality as Southern by the Grace of God because the stem of the song comes out of uh, just seeing a lot of people in my life have cancer, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not, you know, it's not fair. Right. So, uh, right. So I, I guess what I was trying to imply about the song is like, uh, even though I've not experienced uh, cancer firsthand, it's it's like, how do you tell all these people, you know, to get over it? You know, that's yeah. hard. Yeah, yeah, uh, agreed. Like that's what they need. Yeah, uh, agreed. Um, so how are you hoping to tie in part three? And is part three sort of the end? Is it a trilogy or is it the first trilogy of many other trilogies? Uh, it'll be a trilogy. Okay. Or um, I, I want to put those. I guess um, I don't. The idea of releasing three songs at a time or four or five uh, stemmed out of the idea of I can't create enough stuff to keep up with the way you know current people demand music to come yeah. out. Yeah. But if I if I release three at a time and then compile them onto one big one later on, uh, I think that's a, a way to keep people more engaged and uh, and, and do things more efficiently so to speak i guess uh but i want to put the nine which there'll be a little ghost track on the end of it that will uh tie the whole song together i want to put the three albums onto uh one album and then it'll be mm-hmm. just bitter as hell and uh use all the images as artwork right. and uh right. it'll be volume you know it's volume one two three obviously on all the digital platforms but the original intent all along has been to release a full length okay. uh it's just really hard to sit on all this material and not release it as you go you know right. so right when you're so let's segue here into your performing so you're you're doing shows and and you're busier again uh like you were pre-pandemic uh maybe even more busy i don't know you can you can comment on that um how are you mixing in some of these more personal songs with the request for the killers or uh willie nelson uh Slowly. <laughs> uh, what I've been doing is uh, I've been trying to take a different approach. Uh, back in the day, like in the rock and roll days, you'd use more of like a kind of like a run and gun method where you just try to play venue after venue. What I'm trying to do is uh, sort of build a home at like mm-hmm. 20 venues mm-hmm. and just really, I guess, build like a little following at these individual venues. And uh, there's been a couple out of the probably 50 I played this year that I didn't have to introduce them to new stuff. They, they requested, Hey, you know, we looked on your site, play this song. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what I'm going for. It, you know, I, I'm, it's good making it a live and playing, you know, playing a couple hours of covers that people want to hear. It does make you feel good. But my, my end game is to transition into uh, right. uh, gigs where people want to hear what I've written. Is that already success for you to hear someone say, Hey man, play this song that you wrote because I like it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea of making it is funny to me. And I didn't really have a, a way of putting it into words, but it's like uh, somebody, I guess I was had a little bit of drink that night. That just kind of came out of my mouth. Somebody was like, hey, man, uh, I hope you make it. And I said, well, I already did make it. And I made music, you know. I plan on making it every single night. I love making music. So the idea of making it to me is if I can pay my bills doing this, I've already made it. And right. so I've literally already made it my eyes. Now all I'm trying to do is, uh, I guess, not really try to make it big, just try to see how much I can elevate myself and, you know, be, I'm already, I'm already really proud of where I'm at. Right. So everything out, everything up from here is icing. 
Exposure is the difficult part. One of the th- one of the topics I've been sort of focusing on on the podcast more recently is this idea of barrier to entry or the barrier being really low. And so if you are talented, you have the same possibilities and the same hurdles as someone who has no talent, but a lot of confidence Um, because everybody can get stuff on Spotify right now. There is almost no barrier to entry. And one of the things I've been saying is, well, maybe not everybody should, right? And so... uh, (laughs) um, Very true statement. (laughs) But but for for, for you, right, so you've you've talked about this idea of making it or or a little bit of success now. Um, It's hard to, to... break through the noise of everyone being able to put something out. And so if you play your your 30 to 50 venues and, and people want to hear your original stuff, that still doesn't give, it's still hard to get to a bigger audience. So do you have any plans to do that? You know, how might you do that? Uh, my, my long game is to, uh, is to do everything myself until I don't have to. Mm-hmm. And uh, I haven't, I've only recently started looking into how I might possibly market, but I don't, and the idea, marketing almost seems to me like it's, it's a useless effort because like when you go to like a, a restaurant, there's adverts on the napkin dispenser. Uh, you can't read an article on your phone without scrolling past seven advertisements. So I'm really mulling that in my head, how I can advertise without being a nuisance to people. Um, but my long game also is networking with uh, other places that just like what I'm doing. Right. And, uh, right. So get, yeah. And getting out there and just playing one different spot, you know, every few months, I think does, does help a lot, you know, cause even if you can turn just a few heads that, that helps the, the next time and it, and it builds on each other. So I, I, so I would agree with you there. Um, is your perform performance per, persona, your stage persona, fundamentally different from the Tim Nave that I'm talking to right now? No. <laughs> I'm pretty much the same person. Uh, I mean, I might get a little mouthy if I've had a, too many shots of liquor or something like that, but, I don't, you know, this is about me, you know. <laughs> but uh, so people can't see you right now, um, but you have long hair and you have a beard and you have sort of a cutoff T-shirt. But if you're going to play a winery, are, is this – is this your your performance look as well? Oh no, not normally. Uh, I will wear this about sixty percent of the places I okay. play. But if I'm wearing a black eye liner, you know, I'm not the you know, I'll put a button up on, okay. you know, run a comb through my hair. <laughs> I got long hair and a beard, but I'm pretty clean. <laughs> Even though you're from the south, you're still you're still pretty clean. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just because we wrestle them pigs, don't mean we wash the mud off before we go out to to company. <laughs> Um, one other thing with, with regards to the business aspect, um, I've seen pictures of you performing and it looks like sometimes your gear is changing, right? So I don't know, are you able to, to, to get more or better gear, or are you still looking for that magical combination that allows you to present the music in the, in the best way that you can, or the way that you want to? Uh, I'm not having, um, I like the way my stuff sounds right now because I have total control over it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, I know, I know, especially since this 
podcast is geared towards musician people know what i'm talking about like it's a real crapshoot what kind of the pa you're going to show up to sometimes right and uh since it's just one person at most i you know three uh, i found it was kind of easy to go like old school woodstock and just run a bunch of amps mm -hmm. we could control everything we're not you know not be a volume to either turn up or down or whatever but uh seems like pas until you need them they're, they're more of a problem okay than they are you know and are you playing places that have a PA and you're just saying, you know what, I don't want to use your PA because I like the way that my stuff sounds? Or how do you navigate okay. that? On occasion, I'll still use my stuff. Uh, all my stuff has directs out on it, so I'll just go to the house because mm -hmm. I really like the effects on the amps that I'm using. Uh, for my vocals, I use uh, two Fishman acoustics that I run stereo. And recently, I added a Fender Acoustasonic for the guitar. Right. I don't like the way the vocals sound on the Acoustasonic. But if you split them up... Um, I have a real percussive style of, and uh, it makes the vocals. It's like when you're adding three signals, it starts making it do whatever that is, and house music or everything sucks down. Yeah. So if you break everything up into three different speakers, it just really makes it a lot better. Right. So it's the I think it's called a compression bloom, where things get compressed for a moment and then it and then it blooms back out because the the compressor releases, and so then you you hear the you hear the sound again. That's like a very Nashville guitar thing, right? You're looking for that compression on each note so you don't get the attack and then things release. Um, maybe that's too technical, but uh, but that's how I understand compression to work. Um, yeah, I understand what it is. I sound like poop for a few seconds and then I don't. <laughs> so, and when I put the guitar into its own signal, it stopped doing that. That sounds... <laughs> So, so here's another uh, question apropos of nothing we're talking about right now. The band, uh, there's a Syrian band called Takat, T-A-K-A-T, which is, of course, the mm. artist known as Tim. Are you planning to send lawyers after them? How are you going to handle that whole thing where who's going to own the name and what have you? Oh, I would have to say I would have to give up to them. I took, I took it from them. It's a Hindi word. Okay. Uh, I can't remember roughly it means like strength or power and uh, it was a happy accident because like I said I like to do uh, multi-tier things I'm looking into uh, like there's some numerology behind it now that I can't remember because I forget after I create things for some reason <laughs> but when I looked that word up I was like I like that meaning anyway so it reinforced me wanting to use it um, yeah I'd seen some Picot bands yeah. over over in Middle East and there yeah. was even a, a winery I played out recently she goes hey do you know when I google just your acronym it pulls up a lot of middle eastern stuff i was like yeah it's okay i'm aware <laughs> wait, wait so then are people getting nervous that you're funded by some terrorist organization uh, no i think they're just confused <laughs> because i look very um i think the sound i played nashville this weekend and the sound guy uh he had like dreads and stuff and he was really having a hard time pinning me down and i said man i'm like i'm like a i'm like a hippie and a redneck mixed together if you could just kind of envision that like, you know, don't look at the outer shell or whatever. Because, you know, I had a button up on. I had my nice jeans on. Uh, but at the same time, we're sitting there talking about, uh, like, what was it? Like, sacred geometry and stuff like right. that. And it was blowing his mind because I know what his stickers meant. And I, I think the Internet's made it real hard for people to pin each other down because I like a lot of really trippy, hippie stuff. I just don't look that way, you know, because I don't. Uh, pothead merchandise is a little bit too on the nose for me. Like, I don't need, you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> I mean, you could pass for, you know, some sort of Appalachian Jesus as well. If you want to if you want to get rid of like the governor thing and just go straight to deity, I think you could pull off some some sort of Jesus thing. Just wear some robes. 
I'm sure there's already a couple of Jesus under the bridges up here next to Asheville. <laughs> I'm going to have to find a couple of Messiahs if I want that role. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's talk about physical copy then. So you've talked about what you kind of want to do with with regards to um, the, this cycle of songs that you're working on right now. You've certainly released other things. Um, how important is physical copy in your grand scheme of things, you know, and are you focused on records or CDs or cassettes? You know, what what's the idea in the medium game for for you? Uh, people are asking for stuff, and um, it's not really even a matter of, I guess, what even to do. People just want stuff, and I'm not sure if it's like a deep dive into right. generations of people not having anything to hold or what, but. Mm-hmm. I like Anita's artwork so much. I feel like CDs are so small that we might as well go as big as possible. So I'd really like to make, um, I'd really like to make vinyl record 12 inch, the big ones out of them for the artwork alone. And for the fact that it did sound the best, Right. but I have had a couple of requests for some, uh, eight tracks and that sort of nature. But, um, a lot of the other stuff isn't set in stone, but the vinyls I'm, I'm pretty sold on. That's what I want to do. Okay. Okay. And then what do you hope to gain from that other than just being able to sell physical copy at, at shows? Do you think that that helps you sort of, again, you want to, you want to grow, uh, or as organically as possible, paraphrasing what you were saying earlier, but is, is it, how important is being able to sell stuff? Does that help you achieve your ambitions? It does. Uh, for the first time in my musical career, and this isn't, I know, maybe and maybe it sounds like gloating to some musicians. Uh, for the first time ever, I'm actually being paid to do this. So uh, I could make more money if I had some stuff to sell. But it's more, I could have done a lot of other stuff. I want to do the, the albums because I feel like that legitimizes, legitimizes you as more than um, more than a bar player. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're selling your own original stuff. Um Oh, and I did order some T-shirts for Mister for Mister Jimmy Menarchik. He's oh, he's right on. he's in his uh, cave right now, twirling and whirling, making them. Just <laughs> paint flying out the window of his apartment. Very good, yeah. Jimmy <laughs> Jimmy's a good dude, and of course, you've been on his podcast. You've been on my podcast. Uh, speaking of media and this idea of marketing, um, how else are you trying to get your name out there? So you just played Nashville. In Nashville, you're a very small fish in a very big, talented pond. And we talked a little bit about that in in your the first episode that you were on. Going back there now, having a little bit of success that you've had in playing these other places, did it still feel like I'm nobody? Yeah, I still feel like I'm nobody. Um, but uh, it doesn't feel as intimidating. Number one, my chops are a whole lot better now. Okay. And uh, not in the same genre. I love, like really being on your game really does make a big difference. And I guess not having that... Uh, naive belief that you need the people in that city to do what you're doing like i think i really think that's the 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 great hoodwinking of nashville it's almost like vegas i i like both places and i don't blame both places for existing but the people that get real bent out of shape about how those cities function they knew how it worked when they first got there just you know when you get eaten you know dust yourself off and maybe come back later it just feels like a different animal now. I'm not intimidated about Asheville anymore because I don't really need those people. Because, like I said, everything is very much uh, do-it-yourself now. 
it's almost like a grand revelation I, I started having that uh, I've fallen into every pitfall that a, a young musician could fall into along the way when it comes to the industry. That what, you're going to do it yourself until somebody's going to make money off of what you're doing. Right. So everything is going to be do it yourself. So you might as well just, you know, suck it up and do it yourself. Right. Nobody's going to come and be your, be your musical savior and suddenly notice that you're amazing. Right. It's this idea of being discovered because that's part of the American dream. I'm sitting in a diner and then some casting director comes in and sees me and says, hey, I'm going to put you in the new Tom Cruise movie. Right. That that sort of fantasy of being discovered, I, I think, is part of part of what we've grown up with. Right. That idea. It's like discovery with no sacrifice. Right. Right. That's right. Specifically with no effort work whatsoever. And uh, it's a it's a weird I would, I would even say toxic thing to hold on to right because unless you're just incredibly lucky and just a beautiful and connected person it just doesn't happen that way right right um thinking about the last year or so as we start to to wrap up this episode have there been points where you felt like this isn't working or I'm not sure if I can continue to do this or has have you started to feel some success and that's been enough to sort of pull you through any any darker moments you've had uh, <laughs> no I, I've, I've been 100% good with the music thing uh, I've not doubted it at all over the last two, even two years really cool um, I am all the problems in the world that I need to hold me back so if I can just keep myself at bay I'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> but that, that, I mean, that's good advice for, for many people, right? It's, yes, it's like, you, absolutely. Yeah. You, your, your own worst enemy is, is you oftentimes. And just talking to Mike Jacobs, who was in, in a, in an episode that came out recently, you know, the idea that, well, if you just don't stop, that's your best chance for success, right? Just not stopping gets you closer to success than of course stopping would. And, and I think it's, it's easy to stop and it's hard sometimes to, to move forward, but, yeah. but, but you've done that. So, so, so that's, that's very, very good. Um, and it's, it's tiny work. I don't want anybody listening that might've just stumbled across what we're talking about. It's, it's very tiny work. I'm on the, the cusp of even being considered regional, but, uh, just seeing that the effort pay off as quickly as it has has been really been really fun. Uh, but I don't think I really don't think it's unique. I really think I just messed up over and over again for decades. Right. And this time I finally stopped blaming the world and went, you know, maybe I should just stop fighting the way this this thing works and just try to try to do it correctly. You build it from the ground up and and you know stop being a baby about it. It helps to have talent. It helps to be able to write and sing and, and play whatever instrument you're playing. And as I often talk about with Mark Tremalia, uh, it helps not to be an asshole, right? All of those things yeah. are important. Yeah, very much helps not to be a, a, a butthole. Very much hurt. Very, very much helps not to be a full-blown asshole. And uh, you can kind of get away with that back in the day, back when I had like blue hair, or he's even, you know, wow, screaming into microphones. But, like, that does not go over well in the singer-songwriter community, and it certainly doesn't go well over a place they're serving Chardonnay. Right. So you just got to learn <laughs> learn to read the room, I guess. I mean, so fancy. The places where they're serving Chardonnay is where Tim Nave is playing now. A long way from his punk rock roots, everybody. A whole long way. <laughs> 
Well, I will drop the links for for Tim's stuff. I would again encourage everyone to check it out. I think it's 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 really really good. Uh, a second warning here that if you're just googling Takat, you might not find it. You have to look for the artist known as Tim, and then and then you will find it. But I will drop the links. Um, thanks to the support and everyone who's listening to the podcast, and thanks to Tim for coming back on the show. It's good to see you, buddy. Good to see you, man.